Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Regency birthdays. This episode is in honor of Jane Austen's birthday, which should be today if you're listening on the day of publication. So happy birthday, Jane. So we're not actually going to be breaking down a specific scene today because there is very little mention of birthdays in Austen's work, especially in the celebratory way we think of them today. Almost all references to birth and dates of birth are generally mentioned in regards to someone's rank and fortune. Persons of obscure birth, lady of distinguished birth, woman of inferior birth, my favorite, you know. <laughs> Love to be told that. Right. <laughs> or it's mentioned in reference to birth order of siblings. So that's typically how that sort of comes up in Austen's fiction. The one kind of really overt scene that we do get that does mention birthdays directly actually comes from Emma. And it's a scene when Harriet is telling Emma all about Robert Martin. And Emma is doing her best to turn Harriet's thoughts in a very specifically different direction. This is coming from Emma. I have no doubt of his being a very respectable young man. I know indeed that he is so and as such, wish him well. What do you imagine his age to be? And then Harriet responds. He was four and twenty the 8th of last June, and my birthday is the 23rd. Just a fortnight and a day's difference, which is very odd. Harriet, of course, here seeing those connections between her and Mr. Martin when, when they don't, they're not relevant, but she's like, isn't that so cute? Our birthdays are so close together. She's like, our birthdays are only 15 days apart. It's basically the same. Just how she specifies a fortnight and a day's difference. Like, she's clearly been laying awake at night thinking about this. <laughs> she's done the math. She's ready for this. I just think it's so adorable. That's also one of the very few instances where a specific date of birth is given for a right. character. So we know Robert Martin's birthday, and now we know Harriet's birthday as well. We also have all the dates for the Elliot family, because Persuasion opens with their family section in the Baronetage. See our episode on Sir Walter's favorite right, book. yes. And that lists those dates out. But generally, it's left unmentioned, or we maybe get a mention of a month or season in which a person was born, but not a specific date. Right. We do, however, have mentions of birthdays in Austen's letters, which makes sense. That's a lot more specific and more personal. These references include the king and queen's birthdays. There's also a letter to her sister Cassandra from November in 1813 that Austen starts with, I will keep this celebrated birthday by writing to you, which most suppose is a reference to Princess Sophia, King George's fifth daughter, so that she's writing to Cassandra kind of nodding to that birthday. And my particular favorite mention of a birthday is a letter to Cassandra from January 1799, where Jane writes, I wish you joy of your birthday 20 times over. Oh, sweet. There's definitely like cards and stationery and things available that have that sentiment on there. And it's just so sweet because it oftentimes I feel like a lot of the really sweet quotes from Austin's novels like, that people are trying to use like in a sweet way on cards and things are actually like from a horrible character. Like the Isabella Thorpe quote about friendship, you know, yes, that exactly. sort of thing. But this is just pure sincerity and sisterly love. I love it. Yes, it's great. So huge birthday parties were not really a thing in Austin's time, with, again, the exception of royalty, because, hello. <laughs> the royals know how to throw a good party, right? If you're going to wear an actual crown, <laughs> you're probably going to throw yourself a pretty big birthday party. <laughs> well, and the prince regent, like, that's, that's his thing, is throwing a party. So, yeah, makes sense. And, you know, probably there's like a duke or two, I'm going to guess, right. like having a big party for themselves, because why not? <laughs> but most people during this time did not make a huge fuss about celebrating birthdays. It wasn't kind of the birthday culture that I feel like we have today. Right. 
the majority of families, for one, just couldn't afford to make a big deal out of it. It was just a day like any other. You know, you went to work if you were a servant or did the work that needed to be done if you were a farmer or laborer of some kind. And it's a little bit different for the gentry, um, just because, again, there's a little bit more leisure. But for the gentry, a simple celebration at home is probably as large as it's going to get. And this would probably consist of nothing more than like verbally acknowledging like, hey, you were born on this day. It's the thought that counts, okay? Right. (laughs) Right. So it's very low key in terms of of that kind of verbal recognition. And then obviously, the more wealthy you, you might be, the more your day might be commemorated with a gift of some sort especially if it's like a significant birthday in terms of your coming of age as as the male heir, for example. So basically, the higher up in the social hierarchy you are, the more money you have, the more likely you are to make a big deal of your birthday with a celebration. Again, Prince Regent and his parties kind of trickles down from there. It's also funny, too, because if you are the Prince Regent or a member of the aristocracy, I feel like every night is basically... Right? You're going to all these parties for months on end, but you know... Like, what are you going to do for your birthday? <laughs> you know? It's a bunch of party topping is really what's happening. So related to birthdays and getting older, girls of the upper classes, daughters of the aristocracy, the gentry, etc., would come out socially. There wasn't a set age for this, and it wasn't like every girl was for sure going to attend her first big event on an actual birthday. But most girls would come out somewhere between the ages of 15 and 18 depending on each individual family and perhaps the social expectations for the area one was living in. And all that meant on a practical level was that you were now considered an adult, you could now attend adult social functions like dinners and balls, and you were considered eligible for marriage. And this is something we will definitely dedicate an entire episode to in the future because there is a lot to unpack here. Another significant milestone was the breaching ceremony for young boys, which would take place between the ages of four and six, generally speaking. And it marked the occasion when young boys went from wearing the loose clothing of toddlerhood to wearing trousers. So prior to that age, boys and girls basically wore the same clothing. And this would be like a big, it would be a pretty big, significant occasion. Friends and relatives would be invited and it was an event. You know, we're going to mark the occasion. But again, it didn't necessarily take place on that child's birthday, you know, so it's going to just depend on different circumstances and each family's own traditions, all that. There wasn't like a, at age five, everybody does this and it's always on your birthday. And so, yeah, the theme here being obviously that that it's more of milestones are celebrated more so than the birth date, I think is kind of the big takeaway there. You know, one thing to note is just there actually isn't a ton of information out there about birthday celebrations of this time, whether that's because, again, they tended to be more low-key, again, unless you're royalty, or just for whatever reason, we don't have documentation of it. But I would love for somebody to just do like an in-depth deep dive, a real like social history of birthdays in this period, because I'm kind of wondering how much of it is maybe tied up in the fact that childhood mortality, that's always in the background, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's always Mm -hmm. a, a very real fear for families of this time. It makes sense then it wouldn't necessarily be about the birthdays themselves. The, the dates aren't important. It's more of like, oh, we've reached this important milestone that should hopefully mean our child is going to make it to the next milestone. So there's there's kind of this celebration of the milestones making more sense than being obsessed about the date themselves. When talking about these celebrations, I should say that, you know, in my mind, when it comes to like, oh, it's a birthday, I say this to like all of my family. I was like, we don't have to do anything for my birthday, but there has to be cake. Birthday cake <laughs> is like the way that I celebrate. That's my most meaningful thing. And yet, you know, that wasn't the thing here. In this period, a family might celebrate with a favorite cake or dessert, but we're not talking like the fluffy white cake with frosting. 
that, that most of us think of, because that's more of a Victorian thing. Baking powder wasn't invented until 1843, and the really finely milled white flour wasn't widely accessible until later in the 19th century. So before that, we're talking cakes that are kind of the denser cakes, more spiced fruit cakes. Think a little bit like the 12th cake that we described in our last episode on Christmas at Pemberley, but it's, it's a totally different kind of dessert that you would have to kind of commemorate this event. And again, the idea of a birthday cake, that wasn't necessarily, you know, you might have a cake because maybe that happened to be your favorite thing. Right. Or, you know, you might have had something entirely different. Or like we said, it might be nothing. But if you were going to have cake, that type would have been most likely. So along the lines of the cake, saying happy birthday or happy birthday to you was also not in common usage until the late 19th century when the phrases were popularized by the song happy birthday uh-huh. and it's highly unlikely that austin would have ever blown up the candles on her cake as that was not a custom in england at this time okay. so that's actually a german custom that the waters are kind of murky on exactly how that kind of you know trickled out into the world well so even though we don't get a lot about birthday celebrations specifically in austin's fiction as we mentioned kind of at the top of the episode she does actually give us protagonists ages and so we get this like oh Catherine morland is 17 at the beginning of the novel and 18 by the end And she does that with most of her characters. So we really do get like a concept of age and this evolution of time. One of the things that I think is really interesting about this, though, is that it feels like specifically in the fiction, having like, oh, there was a birthday celebration. First, you know, it doesn't fit with the period, but also it, it feels like it would just bog down the narrative in very irrelevant ways. So it makes sense that it doesn't show up here. And when it does, obviously, with Sweet Harriet and her reference to Robert Martin, It's used to show something about the character. It's used to show how Harriet's mind is working, how she's seeing connections to Robert Martin, how she is very invested (laughs) in that relationship. And it doesn't have anything to do with the birthday celebrations. I feel like if there was a book where there was going to be like a big birthday party scene, Emma is the book where it makes the most sense because that is the book I feel like that has characters with big personalities. You know what I mean? Mrs. Elton, right? Being like, I am going to have a party for myself. Yeah. That's that's very Mrs. Elton. You know, Mr. Weston seems like the type who would want to throw a party either for himself or for Mrs. Weston, just because the man loves an excuse to throw a party. He does. You know what I mean? Like, it's Tuesday. Let's have a party. Right. So I can very much see that. Yeah. And I don't know. There's there's just something about that book and that whole community of, of Highbury where you can really see, like, you know, we just need a reason to have a celebration. Exactly. <laughs> there's not a lot else going exactly. on here. Exactly. They're like, let's have a ball just because we want to have a ball. Like, I mean, exactly. it, it works. Exactly. It definitely does. It, it's definitely not something that shows up as like a scene or um, like a plot point in any of the novels. I feel like the closest we get, but again, it's not like really like a birthday party. Again, it's more of like that kind of marking of a rite of passage and at that stage of life is when everyone's like, oh, I guess Fanny isn't like 10 years old anymore. Like maybe she she should be out. I guess we should have a ball. You know what I mean? And she's going to be the honored guest along with her brother, William. But it's not like for her birthday, you know? Yeah. But that's kind of like the closest equivalent I can think of there being character having like a specific celebration specifically for them exactly yeah yeah it's it's definitely the closest we get and it is and it is again it's very much so more a rite of passage i mean you know whose birthday i would love to go to is mary crawford's like she would throw a great party so (laughs) undoubtedly the music would be so good the food would be excellent like it would just the best taste you know what i mean (laughs) it would be a really good party so we don't really get any of that in Austin's fiction, but it's definitely a thing in historical fiction. It is usually, I feel like, a birthday ball. You know, yeah. it's a ball, but in this case, specifically in honor of someone's birthday. Either it's a big coming out ball for the heroine, or it's perhaps a ball. I, this I've seen this in a few different books before. It's a ball given by a husband in honor of his wife's birthday. Mm. 
oftentimes it's the end of the romance and this is you know part of the epilogue or whatever okay. like oh look at them they're so cute and in love or it's like the beginning of like a marriage of convenience kind of thing okay. you know so it's like the awkward kind of birthday celebration yes. I've also seen in quite a few Austin retellings, continuations where, you know, characters are giving balls or having celebrations and things because it's somebody's birthday. And, you know, maybe it's like a romantic moment. Like Darcy giving Lizzie a ball for her birthday or something like that. Yes, exactly. So even though birthdays are a very low key kind of celebration during Austin's day, it is fun for us today to take a few minutes to celebrate her um, as modern audiences because she has had a profound impact on millions of readers for 246 years. And we'd love to hear about some of your celebrations for Jane Austen's birthday. You can send those our way via Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also find us on our website, thethingaboutaustin.com. And you can always send us email at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And again, we would love to hear how you might be celebrating Jane Austen's birthday this year. So we'll be taking a little bit of a break for the holidays, but we'll be back on January 6th. So stay tuned for that episode where we'll be talking about lending libraries in Northanger Abbey. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.